Alrighty, good morning. Good good early morning. It's uh it's bang on six AM tomorrow for most of you. Six AM Saturday. Just started doing early mornings. Oh I gotta always do early mornings, but I've started regularly just doing all right, six AM. No, <laughs> five AM now six AM. Jeez, it is early. Five AM starts. Which gets so much more out of my day. Alright, uh let me just start. Well, folks are joining <laughs> with this. Marvin the Martian. So if anyone listening to this later on, I'm holding an epically cool-looking 3D-printed Marvin the Martian. Now, uh, was it last week? I had Foghorn Leghorn. It was all serious business, by the way. <laughs> 3D-printed, not via... Some people asked online, they said, is it via the MMU, the multi-material unit? This is where you can have five different filaments that all go into this unit which then selects filaments and changes colors as you print uh, this is not MMU these are all individually printed parts and they get glued together which I think is partly why the thing looks so awesome because you don't have to worry about changing of colors you don't end up with a purge tower which is this big block of filament that it sort of spits the old filament out of the nozzle before it puts the new one in and you don't end up with like weird overhangs or supports or things like that because each piece can be printed separately nice and flat and then join together. And these are free prints too. So these are for all free models. <laughs> You've got to pay for the filament. But free models on printables.com. So Prusa's online, I guess, better replacement for things like Thingiverse. So epic, epic, epic. Uh, just, just a fun distraction, I think, is probably the way to refer to this at the moment. Comments. Rules are first time catching one of these live. It's... It's very similar to the ones that aren't live just earlier. Wayne's there. G'day, Wayne. John. London. London evening. Yeah, it's a good time for London, actually. Uh, first time live, too. I'll have to try and make it a good one. Uh, Wayne, I have three 3D printers now. I have a problem. Yeah, yeah. You probably do. But in fairness to you, like I have been looking at it sometimes going, if I had another one, I could be printing something else right now and I wouldn't be just limited to one thing. <laughs> so the temptation is there. That Prusa XL, the big sucker, where you can get a lot more volume in there and it's got all the MMU stuff and everything built in. That would look nice next to the other one. Azerite from Suffolk, UK. Oh, well, everyone's first time. Oh, cool. Cool. All right. I better make it interesting. So let me start where I always start, which is, uh, which is with Sponsor. Now, Sponsor this week is... Not just the first time this organization has uh, sponsored my blog, but I was thinking the other day, it's, it's the first time I think that I have done anything of a commercial nature with them. Sponsorship is something I get paid for. Uh, but it is one of the organizations I have the greatest affinity with, which is Cloudflare. So massive, massive thanks to Cloudflare. I don't even feel like I need to do an intro to Cloudflare because I've written so much stuff about Cloudflare in the past. But uh, And I'm going to talk more about Cloudflare today because there is a blog post about Cloudflare, not fully intended to sort of align with their sponsorship, but it, it did give me a prompt to finish something that I was doing already. Anyway, let me read the message because this is what we do with the sponsorship thing. Sponsored by Cloudflare. Speed up and protect your apps, APIs, and websites with the world's fastest DNS, add CDN, SSL, WAFBOT management, and much more. And... Uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I feel like I need to talk about them or not because so much of what I do is backed by Cloudflare. Every single web asset I can think of that I have at the moment is backed by Cloudflare. The only thing backed by Cloudflare, fronted by Cloudflare, they sit in front of the stuff. The only thing that wasn't in Cloudflare or, or rather behind Cloudflare for a long time was the Hack Yourself First website that I use for my workshops. And I didn't have it behind there because I wanted nothing in the way when we did all the security things. And the only reason I moved it over recently is someone was consistently hammering around or hammering away at it, messing it up, and it was actually making it hard when Scott and I did workshops with it. So, uh, so I put Cloudflare in front, firewall rules, up, problem gone. So now absolutely everything I have is behind Cloudflare. Uh, incidentally as well, just about everything is behind what you get in the normal free plan because when I click the link on my blog post, it's gone through to the... The, uh, the plans and everything. So, yeah, uh, the Hack Yourself First website, my blog, all the password purgatory stuff we'll talk about later on. Free plan, free plan, free plan. And the only stuff I do that has more of the fancy bits, which 
as I said many times before, they provide as a, as a service uh, or a free service for me so I can do things like pwn passwords and have I been pwned. So they're the only two things that, that are not just on the free plan. And it's uh, I'm just so happy with it. <laughs> I'm so happy with everything behind Cloudflare and that they're sponsoring me this week. So big thanks to Cloudflare who really need no introduction from me. Wayne says, Pris for Excel is pound sign, pound sign, pound sign. <laughs> With that, another 400 by 400 by 400. Uh, yeah, so I I have not ordered an Excel. I was, I was tempted, and then I thought I will wait and see what everyone else does with it. Uh, and I, I think they're having some delays. I think originally when they announced it, it was meant to launch around the middle of this year, and it seems to be a bit later now, but I'm really, really keen to, to see what it's like when they do launch it. Uh, 3D printing, I find, it, it's a little bit like home automation where you spend a lot of time using words that, well, the kids have heard them all now anyway because they've been around me while I've been trying to make the printer work or the, or the home assistant. Uh, it is a lot of tinkering. It is a lot of tinkering. But I think Wayne would probably agree and say it's, it is fun as well. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a passion project. But yeah, we'll see. There might be an Excel somewhere there on the on the radar. Dale E just switched my domain to Cloudflare as I realized my register didn't have MFA. As an alternative, they suggested a paid feature which adds a second domain level password. Switching was a no-brainer. For those of you who have not switched to Cloudflare before, and this is not just meant to be a sales pitch because they're sponsoring my blog. I've, geez, a number of times I've spoken about Cloudflare things. Uh, switching is super, super easy. In fact, one of the things I, I did is I wrote, uh, wrote a website, wrote a website, httpsiseasy.com. Now, this goes back a few years. When did I originally put this out? When's the YouTube video from? Must be four years ago. Uh, yeah, there you go, June 27, 2018. And it was sort of at a time where, remember when <laughs> there was a time where not just about everything was on HTTPS and people were saying, you know, there's these barriers, complexity, cost, all this sort of thing. And I wanted to show how easy it was to do HTTPS, hence httpsiseasy.com. And I just did a series of short videos. Now, Cloudflare had no idea I was doing this. I just wanted to scratch an itch. Uh, they certainly didn't pay me anything for it. So the first video was like, adding HTTPS is easy. Here is a four minute and 51 second video that shows you how to do it. Uh, and then after that, it was like optimizing HTTPS. So how do we then configure things like HSTS? So how long did that one go for? That's, that's like another five minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, fixing insecure references, so uh, adding things like uh, upgrade insecure requests, and Cloudflare's got a little feature in there that will actually rewrite uh, references to HTTP to make them HTTPS. So turning that stuff on, there was another four minutes, 23 seconds, uh, encrypting everything. So this was uh, using things like uh, origin certificates to make sure that the traffic from Cloudflare to origin was uh, secure. Another five minutes and 44 seconds, that was it. Uh, and what was really cool as well, I remember this now, uh, a whole bunch of people uh, contributed closed captions in different languages. So there are 19 different languages with closed captions for this little project, uh, which was which was super, super cool. And of course, this is behind Cloudflare as well. So it is really, really easy. In fact, uh, in some of my workshops before where I've said, you know, does anyone have like a pet project, uh, a blog or a, you know, or a hello world or whatever it is you want to put behind Cloudflare now? And we just do it live in the workshop because it was so easy. All right. I do have things to get off my chest today. <laughs> Uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, uh, this is my opportunity to express my feelings <laughs> on many topics, perhaps with a bit more character than what necessarily comes across in a blog post or in, in short tweets. There's one thing that really, really got me going much more than what I admitted to online this week, uh, and I want to... I want to talk about this briefly. So this is from uh, Eva from EFF. And Eva has been doing a lot of, a lot of really good work around tackling stalkerware. So let's just, let's just qualify the mechanics of what we're talking about here in terms of how they work technically and then why there is this term used for it and how they often get used. So we're talking about 
software that runs on devices. This particular piece of software, I believe, ran on a PC. There is other pieces of software in this category that will run on things like your mobile device. And their sole intention is to observe and report back what is happening on that device to another party. Now, they're very often auspiciously presented as monitoring software for your kids. So they can look at the messages that your kids are sending or the photos that your kids are sending. Won't someone think of the children, keep the children safe, blah, 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 blah. Mechanically, some of them will also have access to things like the microphone and the camera. Now, <laughs> I've tried to just be technical about it, just this is the way they work. Obviously, to do that, they need fairly privileged access. Someone usually has to have access to the device or socially engineer someone into running the software to install it on the device. But if we're thinking about a situation where parents with kids, yes, parents normally have access to a kid's device. I'm using the term kids very generally here, there is a broad, broad age range, which we're going to come back to in a moment. Now, that's about where the mechanics end. I'll talk about the stalkerware bit. When we talk about needing access to the device to install it, one of the scenarios, and this is where it gets a little bit icky, one of the scenarios is particularly in, say, abusive relationships, where someone has access to the other person's device and they install this product on there because they want to stalk. It might not be an ex, it might be a current partner, it might be a domestic violence situation, but invade the privacy in the most personal possible way by being able to monitor people's messages, their whereabouts, their photos, uh, being able to do things like turn on webcams, particularly in cases where we're talking about things like stalkerware on PCs. Now, often we've heard these referred to as uh, rats, rapid access trojans, or remote access trojans, sorry. This has been a thing for a very, very long time. Uh, and there's really terrible outcomes that have happened, as you can imagine, uh, to, to the victims of this sort of software. So anyway, Eva's been doing a lot with this. Uh, and she tweeted a few days ago, said, the man who created and sold Imminent Monitor, a stalkware app, has been charged by Australian Federal Police. Good stuff. Now, this was a guy, I think they said he was about 24, and he'd been doing this since he was, I shouldn't laugh. Here you go, 24-year-old from Frankston in Victoria was just 15 years old when he allegedly developed the remote access Trojan. Made some coin from it too. Made um, between three and 400,000 Australian dollars. For the folks listening to this from the UK at the moment, that's just less than half of that in GBP. Made some cash from it. Now, I'm just flicking through the pictures here. It's it's basically just like a trashy bedroom where the guy's been doing his work. Anyway, so guy's been charged. That'll be the end of that. Of course, there are a lot more of them out there. Now, here's where it, it sort of got a, you know, like that in itself, I, I think, is, is newsworthy and interesting. But here's where I feel it gets even more interesting. Someone made the point that there are still a lot of products out there that do effectively the same thing under the auspices of being software to monitor your kids. Now, I'm going to talk about one in particular just because I have some first-hand experience with it. Now, when I say first-hand experience with it, I have their data and have I been pwned, and it's MSpy. Now, I want to give you, without just wanting to single them out, but using them as an example of the problem with this industry, uh, if I go and have a look at the description of MSpy in just a moment, and we're going to go and have a look at the MSpy website and sort of explain how this is positioned and why I have such a big issue with it. Um, <laughs> oh, this feels so trashy. As soon as I search, for, well, actually, let's, let's read the Have I Been Pwned description um, just so we know what happened to them. In May 2015, the monitoring, <laughs> I literally quote is that an air quote if there's actual quotes? The monitoring software known as MSpy suffered a major data breach. The software, allegedly often used to spy on unsuspecting victims, covering my ass there, aren't I? Allegedly. Stored extensive personal information within their online service, which, after being breached, was made freely available on the internet. I wanted to search for MSpy. A bunch of ads come up. MSpy, then in brackets, smarter, Queensland best spying apps. 
Now, the link here goes to parentalcontrolnow.org. And, and this is what I'm, I'm trying to, I guess, get across here, where it's very much positioned around parental controls. The best buying apps, including free, but I kind of feel like the constant use of the word spy undermines the intention to present it as a responsible parenting tool. <laughs> Completely undetected and 100% discreet, location tracking and geofencing available, monitor calls, SMS, and some apps. Rated 9.7. So this, this particular website, parentalcontrolnow.org, is just pitching different spying apps. Umobix. Review complete browsing history. Set, and every time I read something like this about the capability it has, think of this not so much in the parental control context, but in the abusive spouse context. Because that's, that's what we're... Either the abusive spouse context or the unsuspecting victim. You know, uh, installing this on some person's computer, again, possibly through social engineering, and then using it to monitor calls, text, social media accounts, and emails, as well as other important information. Now, when we go and have a look at, uh, where is MSPY? MSPY, number one choice in Australia. <sighs> Undetectable phone spy app. Get remote access to all data and activities on any phone. This is so terrible. You will remain 100% invisible. The app's icons won't be displayed. Information about all activities. Inevitably, you'd see it in a device profile or something, but you've got to know to look for that, right? Information about all activities on the device. Updates every five minutes remotely. So <laughs> here's the other thing. And this is why there's not just MSPY and Have I Been Pwned. It's not the only spying app. Uh, if I search for Stalker, Retina X is in there. So Retina X went in in Feb 2017. The mobile device monitoring software uh, Retina X was hacked and customer data downloaded before being wiped from their servers. Uh, what if I search for spy? I feel like there's another one. Uh, save a spy. Collection of personal exposed. In the, uh, not sure if that's what that was. Oh, spy phone. Here you go, another one. In August 2018, the spyware company SpyPhone left terabytes of data publicly exposed. Collected surreptitiously whilst the targets were using their device, the data included photos, audio recordings, text messages, and browsing history, which were then exposed via a number of misconfigurations within SpyPhone systems, the data belonging to thousands of SpyPhone customers, uh, 44,000 unique email and so on and so forth. So this is the problem. Because these products are collecting this data, storing it on their servers so that the operator of the spy software or the initiator of the spy software can then look at it remotely. It, it, it then sits there where it is accessible somewhere. So all of the wonderful privacy and security controls and things that the likes of Apple put on these devices is suddenly completely undermined as a copy is taken off and put on some dodgy brother's server. And it blows my mind that products like this, which are so frequently used for those purposes, are being marketed in this way. I'm just looking for, there must be an FAQ in here somewhere about, uh, can I use this to spy on my, <laughs> spy on my partner or something? Uh, how to install MSPY, trademark, on iOS. No installation is required for iOS. You need to provide iCloud account credentials credentials of the target device. Once you input the iCloud credentials in your control panel, mSpy will link the target iOS device to your personal mSpy account and start the synchronization. Hmm. Physical access to mSpy may be required in case two-step authentication is enabled. That's interesting, isn't it? So they're just tapping straight into iCloud. Nasty, nasty. Anyway, oh, here you go. Will I be notified if the app is uninstalled? Yes, you'll receive a notification in case the application was removed from the device. Interesting. So here's my, my issue, <laughs> my other issues. <laughs> and I've got this in the tweet thread. 
My other issues are twofold. Now, I've written a blog post related to this before, and it's called uh, Sharenting, which is basically parents sharing stuff online with kids or about their kids. Sharenting, BYOD, and Kids Online, 10 Digital Tips for Modern Day Parents. So my twofold issue is, other than the ones I've already raised, one is we've got lots of native controls on the device to limit screen time, access to apps, purchases, who they're connected to, and a whole bunch of other things. Certainly on iOS devices there, that's that's on both my kids' devices. They're part of our family account, which is great. So we have these controls built there natively by Apple. The same sort of stuff exists in, I think they call it Microsoft Families. If your kids have got a Microsoft PC, same thing exists if you're in the Google ecosystem. This stuff is built into the device. Now, not, what's not built into the device is the ability for parents to turn on the camera and monitor it because you don't freaking need to do that. The ability to remotely read kids' text messages and things like that. Again, not something that we really need to do. So all of this stuff is there natively in terms of what you fundamentally need to protect the children. That's number one, first part of my issues. Second part of my issue is... And this is where I'm going to get all righteous about parenting. But this feels like it is so frequently an excuse to turn on the controls rather than to be present with your kids with the devices. Now, different story depending on the age of the kids. Uh, Once you have a 17-year-old, they are for all intents and purposes an adult. When you have a 5-year-old using a device, they're barely able to understand what's going on. And then there is a continuum before there or between those two points. Uh, which is a gradual progression of independence and maturity and everything else. Every time you see guidance, I get guidance from schools the whole time, about kids and devices. So let's say particularly around the ages of my kids, 10 and 12, it's about being present with kids. Get the kids to use these devices in the living room. Get these kids to limit their time on the devices. The schools tell us no more than two hours a day, which seems pretty excessive (laughs) to be sitting there watching YouTube or something anyway. But to be part of the conversation with the kids, because all of these controls, whether it's the native stuff or the M-Spires or whatever else, are not going to stop the kids seeing the sorts of things that need some parental explanation about them. I don't want to... I was going to say I don't want to even try to stop that, but that's not quite what I mean. I I don't want to sort of get into the rabbit hole of trying to increasingly put controls on because the kids might see something that they need a parental explanation for. I'd much rather just be there and be able to have that chat. They're going to see it all. Jeez, think of the stuff we've seen on the internet. Holy shit. (laughs) So I'd much rather be there for that. It sort of relates to a story that's in in the news a bit at the moment that we spoke to the kids about the other day in order to have these discussions in advance. There's a very tragic story about the 12-year-old boy, I think he was in the UK, who did one of those TikTok challenges, one of those blackout challenges, uh, and now he's brain dead and it's in the press a lot because of turning off life support and all this sort of stuff. So it's like an absolutely tragic situation because he succumbed to the peer pressure or the excitement of doing something that the other kids on the internet were doing. So we had this discussion with the kids about, uh, about the encouragement that is there on on things like TikTok and other social media platforms uh, to partake in these activities, which are obviously just not good for you at all. And I, I remember talking to, to my mum about it, and she's like, oh, you know, we really worry about that, that TikTok, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff on TikTok. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> mum, it's not just TikTok. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, there's loads and loads of places where on these digital devices, kids can be encouraged to do stupid stuff. That is why it's not about like, banning TikTok. You know, okay, you're meant to be 13 to have an account on the social media platforms, but you can see it anyway. And also if it's not on TikTok, it's kids sending messages to each other. And if it's not that, it's websites with it on and you can't start doing the whack-a-mole of blocking everything that you think is bad because there's a gazillion of them. Much, much, much better to have the discussion with them and be present than try to block out that stuff uh, in its entirety or revert to things like M-Spy, which is just terrible. Off my high horse on that. Ah... Pimdu says, this is probably why the major platforms now have their own parental controls built in. Bang on, absolutely. 
Alex is here. He's totally excited to hear about pun, uh, but rather password purgatory successes. We're going to talk about that in a moment too. Uh, going back out, Rolls has said it's so easy with all the Cloudflare stuff. So many domains registered after a night of drinking that seemed like a super good idea at the time. Oh, man. I've got 100 plus something domains with um, under DN Simple. So DN Simple is still my registrar. I register on DN Simple, then I bind it to something via Cloudflare. Uh, not necessarily from nights of drinking, but just because it's like, oh, I better get that variation of have I been pwned and so on and so forth. Let's move on. Breaches and controversies. This has been a hard week. This is a hard week. Let me explain why. Two breaches I'm going to talk about in terms of controversies. First one is Tuned Global. Now, let me explain what Tuned Global is to the best of my understanding. So Tune Global, fast, simple, and engaging streaming solutions, your 360-degree streaming technology partner. How can streaming be 360 degrees? Technology partner to quickly launch and grow your own music, audio, and video streaming projects globally. Now, my understanding is if you would like to have a streaming media platform, but you don't want to go and do all the work to build that, these guys can build it for you and they obviously have access to all sorts of pipelines of music and so on launch b2b music streaming services engage your audience and create revenue and they can go along to the likes of jb hi-fi in australia which is a large electronics retailer and jb hi-fi can then sell their own streaming platform which is backed by tuned global that's my understanding now this is one of these ones where data has been floating around for a long time like early last year kind of thing was when I think I first saw it. People saying, you know, here's the Tune Global data breach. There was a news story about it, uh, which had a very small mention of it in amongst other larger uh, or other data breaches. Other couple of references scattered around the web about data breaches, but no statement from them. The data itself was not easily attributable back to them. It's the same story as the next one I'm about to talk about. But all of the indicators within the data did make it appear that it had come from Tune Global. So what do you do? You reach out to them. So I send them via their online form, uh, contact us page, send them a message, and I get a reply back a few days later, uh, which was nice. It was a good reply. Uh, and I replied to them and said, you know, thank you very much. They said, look, we're going to loop in someone else. They'll get back to you in a few days. Didn't hear anything back. And then like a week later, I said, look, I'm, and I explained the context. You know, everyone have I been pwned? Here's the website. I said, I'm going to load this data and notify my subscribers. You know, I'd really like a statement from you guys uh, about the incident. Now, there are many different things they could have done at this point. They could have said, no, there was no data breach, and then that's going to be a discussion. They could have said, uh, could you please send us the data so we can look at it and figure out if there was a data breach? Or they could have said, yeah, we know about it. We've sent notifications, and great, then I can get a disclosure statement and put it in my notifications. Now, they didn't do any of those things because they just didn't reply. Just radio silence gone dead. Now, I had said, look, I'm going to load this into Have I Been Pwned, so I did go ahead and load it into Have I Been Pwned. And then they started to pay attention. Not to me personally, I still haven't had an email back from them, but to the people that were then subsequently in this data breach. Now, it's very interesting when a breach is loaded and there's not complete certainty about the legitimacy, it's very interesting to see who comes out of the woodwork once they get notifications from Have I Been Pwned. And that's the common thread on both these breaches I'm going to talk about today. Now, with Tune Global, a couple of things, uh, couple of things came up. Uh, I've got a thread here about it on, on the Twitters. One of the things that came up is after I sent these notifications to people, a bunch of people reached out and said... Uh, yeah, can you help me figure out what this is? Because when you think about the nature of it, if they create a service which is then like white-labeled, and in the case of, say, JB Hi-Fi, someone is like, yeah, I'm signing up to the JB Hi-Fi streaming service. They're not going to know who Tuned Global is. So I've got an embedded tweet here from Andrew Cook. Now, Andrew says, uh, the articles, uh, I forget about this bit, the important bit here is he says, I don't have any record of Tuned Global, any way to know exactly how my details got onto this list. Now, don't do this for everyone because it would be quite laborious. But for Andrew, I reached out and said, hey, look, can you 
can you uh, send me your email address and we'll, we'll try and figure this out. So we had a we had a DM backwards and forwards. Uh, and then he's publicly tweeted here. He says, okay, solve the puzzle. Troy sent me a snapshot of my data and it turns out the date on my record matches the time I signed up for a trial of JB Hi-Fi's music streaming service, JB Hi-Fi Now. It looks like Tune Global Proprietary Limited were providing this service. Someone else, Bo, same sort of story. Uh, so I'm actually quite impressed at how long some people keep emails for. So Bo actually kept the email from when he signed up to the JB Hi-Fi Now service, 29th of May, 2012. Okay, it's easy to keep emails, but I normally just bin stuff like this. So he's, uh, he's got this email from when he signed up to JB Hi-Fi Now. Uh, now, I'm pretty sure we had a DM to, let me check, <laughs> without disclosing private discussions he wouldn't want. Uh, What's going on there? I thought we did. Maybe we didn't. Regardless, JB Hi-Fi now embedded into the thread. So we've got this similar situation again where you've got two different people who've used a streaming service that is in the press of Tune Global backing and they're in the Tuned Global data. Um, now... Inevitably, people reach out to the, let's just say allegedly, to the allegedly breached organization and they say, why do you have my data? How did I get in here? And that does prompt a response. Now, I've got 4.25 million have I been paying subscribers at the moment. And usually when there is a data breach, up to up to 1% of them are in have I been pwned. Now, there are 985,000 uh unique email addresses in this breach, up to 1% of that is going to be 10,000. I don't think it was quite 10,000 emails that I sent, but it was, I think, some number of thousands. So someone here has reached out to them, and this message, he's posted this publicly so I can read it, this message, uh, their response at least, is pretty similar. So he says, uh, Hi, I've been recently made aware that Tune Global was breached March 16, 2016, and he's got a link through to Firefox Monitor. So Firefox Monitor is backed by Have I Been Pwned. Since I've never used this service directly, I think it is likely that my details were present due to my usage of JB Hi-Fi Now streaming service. He reads my tweets. As this service is now defunct, please remove all the personal details you have stored against redacted email address. Now, Tune Global has responded and says, an audit has been conducted on our system and has confirmed that we have not had a security breach. We are aware of, I'm going to read that with a straight face. We are aware of the reports of an alleged breach and we have communicated our findings with authorities on this matter. We can confirm that your details are not in our system. They have not found any evidence of a breach. Now, mind you, they reply to these guys' emails and I reply to my emails. Send me an email. I could have helped you understood this a lot earlier. They have not found any evidence for breach. Now, it reminds me of that saying that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because you cannot find evidence that you have had a data breach does not mean that you have not had a data breach. All it means is that you cannot find evidence of a data breach. Now, maybe that's because the evidence is not there. Maybe it's because you can't find it. I have had no indication whatsoever whether they have actually seen the data. Now, maybe they have downloaded it from the public forum where it is broadly circulating. Maybe they've been able to verify independently that that data doesn't exist on their service. I don't know because they haven't told me. They haven't told anyone. All they've said is that we haven't found evidence of a breach. No one's reached out since I loaded this data and have I been pwned. I loaded this uh, three days ago now. They know where to find me because I've got my email. So this is... This is, I just find this extraordinarily frustrating, particularly when there was communication and they just stopped replying to messages. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. You know, one of the, I'm obviously really cautious with the way I handle these things because I don't want to uh, misattribute and cause damage to an organization's reputation or, or anything like that. Uh, so I'm very, very cautious. This is why I reach out and try and have these discussions. 
But I'm also conscious now that in this increasingly privacy-centric era, organizations that have incidents like this and they don't handle it well are more scared than ever of getting smacked with the the privacy hammer. (laughs) And they damn well should be too. Now, this is Australia. Privacy is not quite the same as where a lot of you are listening from. But if they've done the wrong thing here and they haven't disclosed or they haven't properly investigated and they've reached out to you, I would assume, the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, our OAIC, and they haven't handled this properly, then, uh, then they might be a little bit worried about it. And part of not handling it properly might be if there's a public threat about not responding to emails. Just, just saying, just saying. Next one. We'll see where that ends up. Next one, I've got a pretty good idea of what's actually happened here. Uh, question Pro. Now, this is a little bit, a little bit nuanced insofar as someone reached out, sent me data, and said this is data from Question Pro, indicated that there had been some dialogue with Question Pro, but then they had not disclosed. Now, this was a very large amount of data too. We're talking about, let's just have a look at uh, Question Pro. 22 and a bit million email addresses. Sizable, sizable data breach. Uh, So... Having had all of these experiences with how hard disclosure is, one of the things that I will often do, particularly when the the data breach is larger and more newsworthy, is I will reach out to a journalist and I'll say, look, this looks newsworthy. Could you please disclose this? Because journalists are very good at getting answers. So I pinged Lawrence Abrams at uh, Bleeping Computer and said, look, this this looks like it's fairly significant. Maybe you would like to do disclosure. Now, Lawrence has written about this. Uh, let us actually find the article here to give you the the highlights. I do like to make sure I actually get my, my facts right. Okay, I know what's I know a lot of facts that are probably not in this story as well. So I just want to be careful that I'm talking about things that uh, that are in the public domain. Hackers try to extort survey firm Question Pro after alleged data theft. Now, Question Pro is an online service allowing businesses to create and conduct surveys to perform market research. The company told Bleeping Computer that they are currently determining whether a data breach occurred and have engaged with law enforcement to investigate the incident. Now, as far as I know, well, I haven't sent the data, so I don't know if the person who contacted me sent them the data. I'll I'll take them at their word that someone tried to extort them. I'm not sure about that. Certainly it's not in the email threads that I've had. The company did confirm they suffered an extortion attempt, which was ignored, where a threat actor demanded a Bitcoin payment not to release the data. Question Press said that customers will be alerted of a data theft incident, right ahead of you there, if it is determined that a data breach occurred. It's wishy-washy, isn't it? It's wishy-washy. So they go on, and basically, Lawrence pushed them to provide a statement on this. Uh, And usually what this would mean is they would look at the data and they would say either, yes, it's our data, or no, it's not our data, or they would give some sort of indication of what they were doing to establish legitimacy. The only thing Lawrence could get out of them is what is in this story, which is someone tried to extort us. Now, just to be clear, like, obviously that is super shitty if someone's trying to extort an organization. It's not just super shitty, it's like outright illegal, and you will go to jail if you get caught, particularly in America, where these folks are. Uh, And there's a bit in here that says um, this particular threat actor has been involved in other high-profile breaches, including sending fake cyber attack emails through the FBI's law enforcement enterprise portal. Uh, they do obviously have history. They do have previous form. So Question Pro hasn't wanted to provide any indication whatsoever whether the breach is real or not. Now, one of the things that really upsets me about this, and it's the same with the Tune Global situation, is that there is a large corpus of personal data out there in the hands of an unauthorized party, in the case of Tune Global, for quite some period of time, being exchanged on a forum, backwards and forwards between people, 
I mean, that Tune Global one would be in the hands of literally thousands of people. I'm sure Question Pro will end up being in the same situation. Expeditiously advising people that their information is being abused in this fashion is absolutely critical. The sooner you can do that, the harder it is for other people to go and exploit the victims of this breach. So sitting on your hands and taking your time for whatever reason is just inexcusable. Now, because I am being very cautious about incidents like this and being very cautious to do all the alleged and all this sort of thing and get statements and whatever else, I said to Lawrence, look, the the data, it's not like the data had uh, user accounts that people organically created on a website. Let's say it was, you know, I mean, Dropbox is a good example and the data breach was there. It's like you could see email address password pairs hash passwords, you could go to Dropbox, you could go to the password reset form, and then you could send a password reset to a Mailinator account and then see if it actually lands. And it's like, hey, what are the chances? Email addresses in the alleged breach do actually exist on the service. It's not like that. Question Pro, most people wouldn't have even heard of. You've all answered surveys online before. I have. I'll tell you how I know in a moment. A lot of the driving, or a lot of the engine, I guess, behind many of these surveys is Question Pro. So we've given our data to an organization similar to the Tune Global thing. They thought they were signing up for JB Hi-Fi, but backing that was obviously Tune Global. So you might not recognize the name. We might not have data in there that makes it easy to attribute. Now, this is part of the reason I flagged as unverified. They don't want to make a statement on whether it's legitimate or not. It's very hard to tell from the data alone. But just like with Tune Global, once I loaded the data... And a whole bunch of people got notifications because remember that up to 1%? Now, I didn't send 20, well, I guess 222,000 emails. Uh, so I, I didn't get that 1% there. It would have been it would have been about a tenth of that, I think. I think it was, I think it was over 20,000 emails. I'd have to check. But I sent a lot of emails. So, of course, then you get people starting to look at these notifications and just like with Tune Global, going back through their emails, trying to figure out, is this actually a service that they've used? Now, as soon as I put that in Have I Been Pwned and I hit the button, which is like, okay, go and send all the notifications. I got a notification. So I'm in this data breach and I didn't know. I had no record. I'd never even, as far as I knew, I'd never even heard the name Question Pro before. It's just like suddenly you're in the data. So, of course, I went through and pulled my own data, uh, but nothing in there could give me a clear indication of what it actually was or where it came from. Now, I'm going to, without reading this person's personal information here, uh, there's a couple of people who I have pulled data for, and like with the Tune Global thing, to try and establish where it's come from. Now, when I look at this particular person's data here, we've got an IP address. Now, that might establish whether or not they were likely at that IP address. Uh, doesn't necessarily tell you where it came from, though, so it doesn't tell you which service it came from. We've got uh, a browser user agent string here. Again, similar sort of thing. We do appear to have... Actually, this would be interesting. We do appear to have a timestamp in Unix time form here. Uh, so if I do epoch, convert epoch time. Thank you, Google. Convert epoch time. Let's see... If, because this actually might might be really, really useful. Okay, so this epoch time is February 17, 2021. Now, this person, I oh, will do this real now. We'll see if we can establish this, do this live. This person emailed me their data. Is this the same person? I've got a couple of people here that I'm doing the same thing with. Um... What's the one that I'm after here? It's a question pro thing. Be very interesting if this is real. Well, I'm quite sure it's real. Okay, this is the one. So, without looking at the date of the email, because what they've done is they have forwarded on the email which they got to answer a question, which is in French, but Quebec-style French. So they're from Montreal. The data in the question, alleged question breach does refer to Montreal uh, in Quebec here. 
The Epoch timestamp here is 17 of Feb 2021. The email, <laughs> the email that they have just forwarded on to me is 18th of Feb 2021. So considering the idiosyncrasies of time zones and what time it's represented in, this email appears to have come on the same day as their record in the breach. What are the chances of that? It's like a little mystery, isn't it? Every time I, go, I think I'm honestly at the point here, I change unverified to verified. Because there's a couple of different cases like this as well. There's a couple of different cases like it. Uh, in fact, I was just, just chatting with Lawrence about this without disclosing our DMs here. Oh, this was the thing. Someone else sent me an email. Now, this one was quite interesting because it was also about Question Pro. Uh, where was this guy? Oh, I'll just read what I sent Lawrence. This person says, I recently got an email regarding the Question Pro unverified pwn for my domain, domain name there. Upon checking your site, which email specifically was pwned, the only result is an email address I have exclusively and solely used one time at the Dubai Mall's public Wi-Fi hotspot back in earlier this year. I won't give the exact date, so it doesn't like dox the guy if anyone's going through the data. The only email communication even received to my pwned email is one email asking me to rate my experience at the Dubai Mall the following day which was signed off with Powered by Question Pro. I'm not sure if you do crowdsource uh, the legitimacy of unverified leaks through various reports. Yes, I do. But if you do, this is my report that it seems to be legitimate, or at least there was a leak somewhere between the Dubai Mall's Wi-Fi hotspot and Question Pro. So all the dots just start lining up. Now, with any of these breaches, even the ones that are much more clear-cut, it's always... A question of degrees. How confident am I that it is legitimate? It's never really, short of a disclosure from them, it's never really 100%, you know? And I don't know if I can even put a number on it, but somewhere over the last 24 hours, Question Pro has gone from, let's call it 70% to 95% confident. And for me, that sort of passes that threshold of I'm confident saying that it's legitimate. That was fun. I'm glad we did that together. <laughs> What's here in the comments? Uh, Rolzer has said there was also a lot of bad stuff 20 years ago on the internet, way before TikTok. Yeah, I remember some of the some of the first stuff. I first saw the internet in 95. Jeez, 27 years ago. And I remember some of the stuff there. That was nasty, nasty stuff. Paul uh, sent a few people password purgatory. Oh, he's asking, did I send a few more? Is there a log of the attempts? Judging by the replies, they don't seem to like it much. All right, let me talk about pwned, uh, not pwned passwords, um, password purgatory. Doing a lot of password stuff lately. So, oh, look, I just got another email about Question Pro. Uh, I'll have to read that later on. It's a long one, but it... it uh, I think it's going to join some more dots. Okay, so uh, password purgatory. Now, I mentioned before this blog post did align with Cloudflare sponsorship. It, it wasn't, that's not the reason for the blog post. Uh, th this was something I started much earlier this year. In fact, before I had any sponsorship from Cloudflare lined up. But once we actually agreed on the dates, so I was like, this is a really good motivator now to actually get this blog post finished and in fact get the mechanics of password purgatory finished because what I really want to do is actually start logging the password attempts of spammers. So if, if you recall back earlier this year I, I created a little open source API built on Cloudflare workers to intentionally provide infuriating password complexity criteria because we've all seen infuriating complexity criteria before which was not infuriating by design but just ended up that way so to be like uh, you must have at least one uppercase character and then a symbol and then a number and then you can't have two consecutive characters of the same kind all sorts of crap like that so wouldn't it be fun to design an API just to provide infuriating criteria and then wouldn't it be fun that every time someone sends me spam I say yes I'd love to work with you to buy your product or whatever it is just go here and create an account 
and then they can never create an account because they just keep getting hit with stupid password complexity criteria. So that bit was all built earlier this year, but what I really wanted to do is I wanted to see what passwords are they using to try and satisfy the criteria. And then as I started building this out, I realized that what I'm really trying to do here is I'm trying to waste their time. They're wasting my time. I want to waste their time. And then I want to share it with people because it's going to be funny. So very mechanically simple API. But part of what I wanted to do with this was to make it, it, it's like getting leverage. So how do I have the smallest possible time commitment on my behalf on a per span basis and create the largest possible waste of time on their behalf? Like it's like an amplification attack. How do I take my small little bit of time and amplify that out to a large part of the spam's time? And I realized that the easiest, fastest way for me to initiate this process is when I get spam, comes into my inbox, I just drop the mail into a folder. Oh, let's do this right now. Let's actually, I've actually started going through my junk a lot more. So I could go to my junk and I could find, let's have a look. New podcast editing site. Hi there. We finally launched Pod Machine, a podcast editing and growth subscription platform. <laughs> Provides professionally edited podcast episodes. Also offering free consultation. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Kind regards, Jam. Jam? Okay. Now, I'm going to grab that and drop it into the send spammer to password purgatory folder, and that's it. My job is done. Because as soon as I drop it in there, I have a Microsoft Power Automate flow. It used to be called Microsoft Flow, Microsoft Power Automate flow, whatever. I have this flow which is going to look for a new email in that folder and it's going to kick off a process. Now it picks up that email and then it goes and calls an API over on Cloudflare in a worker. So a worker runs on the edge. It's running in one of the 200 plus edge nodes that Cloudflare has all the way around the world. Now it's going to run in whatever one's closest to the Microsoft Flow. I'm not sure where that executes from. Uh, if it did execute from my home just here, which it doesn't because I don't host like <laughs> Power Automate here, it would hit the Cloudflare Edge node in Brisbane. So there's a little bit of code to be running in Brisbane. And it creates a GUID, which is going to be a KV key. Now, KV is key vault. It's a very, or key value rather, it's a very simple key value pair storage implementation done by Cloudflare that runs on their edge. So you put something into storage, it takes a few seconds and it replicates around to every other edge nodes around the world. Now, I didn't get into the technical mechanics of this too much, but in operating this way, you have eventual consistency. So you may have a scenario where you've put a key in in this location and it's in this edge node, but it hasn't yet replicated to another edge node. And then maybe you put a different value in for the same key and they can overwrite each other. It doesn't matter for this purpose because I'm only creating the key. Well, it doesn't when you create the key, it doesn't matter because you don't have any uh, integrity issues or things overriding other things. Create the key, send it back to Power Automate. Power Automate then sends an email to the spammer and says here, We'd love to work with you. Here's the link through to my special sign-up page. Now, when they go to that special sign-up page, every time they start entering a password, that logs it into Microsoft, Microsoft Cloudflare KV. Well, actually, there is a Microsoft component. It's the flow, but we're done. Once the flow runs, no more Microsoft involved. Now, because the spammer is sitting at their machine somewhere, sending spam, then trying to sign up on my service, they're always going to hit the same Cloudflare Edge node. So we don't have to worry about integrity problems or eventual consistency or anything like that because they're always updating the same Edge node that then replicates out around the world. As soon as they start this process, as soon as they start trying to satisfy my ridiculous criteria, I get an email which says I've got a spammer on the hook. It's very exciting when that email comes in i got a spammer on the hook. I can then go to a URL to have a look at every password they attempt to use. Now, I'm definitely not logging their email address as part of this process. Yes, I've got their email in my inbox. I could join up all the dots and figure out what password they're trying to use. Not overly sympathetic to the spammer on that front, but I certainly don't store the email address in KV. The only thing in KV is the password. The password and the criteria they tried to satisfy with that password. Because what I want to do is see how crazy their answers have to get in order to try and satisfy my criteria. 
which is devilishly good fun. Now, it works. And so far, it has worked with a grand total of wonder spam. <laughs> so one of the things I've learned, and thankfully I got that one spammer on the hook before publishing this blog post because I really wanted a real-world example. But one of the things I've learned from this is that spammers aren't good at replying to spammy emails. This is one of my epiphanies. I've sent dozens of these emails to spammers and only one of them is on the hook. And their criteria here, okay, so you know, attempt one for the password. This is when there's no password criteria. The password was, was I but with a double T, one, two, three. And then it says password must contain at least one uppercase. Now, th this is actually fascinating. So what do you do? You've been through this before. What do you do when you're signing up for a website and you're trying to create an account and it says you've got to have at least one uppercase character? And I ask this when I do conference talks and every time it's like you capitalize the first letter. That's what this guy did. Capital was I but <laughs> one, two, three. And then it's quite funny because I don't think the guy reads very well. Password must end with dog. So he's gone, was I but one, two, three, dash. So then I changed the criteria again. It says password must start with cat. So then he's changed the password to cat and dog, capital C. And then it says password must contain at least one number. And he's just submitted the same thing again, cat and dog. So I give the same message back. Password must contain at least one number. So he's then gone cat and dog, one, two, three. Isn't it fascinating the number of times we see we're like one, two, three at the end of a password as well? I laughed at this. 80 seconds. Spammer burned 80 seconds in password purgatory. One thing I've realized that is not on here that could be interesting is what criteria caused them to leave. Good question, isn't it? What criteria caused them to leave? I'm wondering if maybe what I need to do is when the criteria comes back, log that into KV, and then if they provide a password against that criteria, well, then we can we can record that, we can store that. Otherwise, that way at least I have the last criteria that was returned, the point at which their soul was just sapped <laughs> and they left. Hmm. <laughs> I actually think what I'm going to do is I'm going to tweak the automatic email that goes to them after I drop them in this folder, and I'm going to tweak it to say to, to make it look much more legitimate. I was taking the piss a little bit because my default email, so uh, when I drop them in that folder, the default email that comes back says, this is exciting and might empower a cutting-edge partnership. I'd like to invite you to leave your information on my special registration form. It'll only take a minute. We look forward to exploiting the cross-platform mindshare together. I got this out of the Bullshit Generator. Uh, if you Google Bullshit Generator, you will find many wonderful terms that you can use. So uh, I think I might, I need to do a bit of A-B testing on this. I think I'm going to try a more legitimate looking version of this, just in case spammers are actually adept at picking up on spammy language. It is possible. It's possible. All right. Let's look at the comments here. Stephen says, uh, have you excluded the sign-up page from search bots? No, I haven't. Um, I, don't, I don't know there's a reason to. Stephen says, you should send out a survey email asking why they didn't sign up. I could use question pro for that. That would come full circle, wouldn't it? Would a sole responder have been an independent operator? Not quite sure what Mitch means by that. Would the, would the sole responder have been an independent operator? Oh, uh, the sole respondent, the, the spammer. Uh, in all likelihood, yes. Many of these spammers uh, are spamming from Gmail accounts. Now, uh, without looking at email headers, I don't think they're actually using Google's outbound mail service because you'd get pretty pretty banned with that pretty quickly. But um, actually, where are these other ones come from? Let's just go. Greetings. This is a private effort to introduce a partnership intention and proposal to you. Some odd-looking domain. Okay, I'll drop him in the folder as well. <laughs> Prices. Hi, there's someone else. I'm reaching out. So is there anything you would like to upgrade, repair, or redesign on your site? Yeah, I'll drop him in there too. Why not? Ah, it's funny. All right. 
I think I'm uh, I'm pretty much at the end there. So I'm going to do a little bit of tweaking around that messaging on password purgatory. Uh, I'm also going to pick up this question pro stuff again now that we've uh, we've done this together, this verification process. And I think I'm going to start another tweet thread on this, just showing how all the dots join up because this this has just gone well beyond the the realms of coincidence, shall we say, with Question Pro. Uh, and as for Tune Global, we'll, we'll see if there's an update on that next week. I'd really like to see a disclosure message from them. Or maybe some support, if it's not them, figuring out who it is. Because clearly, clearly, JB Hi-Fi has a role to play here. Okay, folks, that's all from me. I will see you next week.